The snitch is back, baby! <laughs> the snitch is back? Yeah. Like, the bitch is back? Yes, but there's the song by... Elton John! Yes. Yes! I'm a bitch, I'm a bitch. Oh, the bitch is back. Well, this is Basic Snitches, by the way. <laughs> and this is season two. Season two! Oh my gosh! We're reading Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. We so are. I'm Tara. Uh, I'm Adam. And this is Basic Snitches. Hi! Hi! We're drinking wine already. We are. It's and we not have... a suitable time for drinking wine. We have cupcakes and snacks. Yes, we do. And wine. And wine. Yeah, it's a wonderful day. It is a wonderful day. Do you want to know why it's a wonderful day? Why? Today was my last day in my current job. Hell yes. I am moving to a different position within my company. And it is a slight promotion. I'm excited to learn new things. Hell yeah. It's like the next chapter. She's also brought a bunch of things over to my house that her coworkers gave her. And I'm like a little bit floored. Like, because one of my coworkers got me a light up Hogwarts castle to put on my <laughs> desk at my new job. So I hope I can have things on my desk at my new job because I have to put my castle on my desk with Adelbert, who was the little Niffler that Adam gave me back in season one. Yeah. And they belong on my desk, so if I don't have a desk to put them on, I will be sad. What this means is you need a new gift for every season of Snippy Six <laughs> A new gift. It doesn't have to come from Adam, although he did also give me another gift today. It's pushing. She has she candy in her, but mostly I just care that she's pushing and she's this cute little tin and I yeah. love her. If you don't know what Pusheen is, Google it. <laughs> like, Pusheen is, is the fat great cat who likes food. Yes. She's my spirit animal. And so, of course, I saw this and I was like, time to get it for Tara. So Tara got gifts and I was like, oh my God. At my last job, when I left, the agency I worked at, people were like, bye. <laughs> <laughs> bye. <laughs> and I have never looked back. It's very interesting because so. I didn't really think many people liked me at my current job, so... That's really amazing. Maybe they're just celebrating that I'm leaving. Maybe. I don't know. That's fine. It's but whatever. hey, if they're going to give you gifts for it, why not? Right. Soak it up. Other than Tara getting a new job Yay. and it being her last day, we've been doing some other things. Like, yes. obviously, as you can tell from our last episodes, we did Puffs, and that was phenomenal. Puffs was an incredible experience. If you haven't listened to our special episode because maybe you were coming to see it and you didn't want to be spoiled by it or you wanted to save it for a rainy day, go back and listen to it on a rainy day or a not rainy day. It was great. It was great working with all of those people. And oh my gosh. I miss them all so much already. Every time I do a show, I try to get something special out of each one, like working with a new person, connecting with them or whatever it might be. This entire cast was just fucking solid. Like, every single one. I had a party at my house, and they were, like, the most considerate house guests. They were wonderful to, to be with and everything, too. But on top of that, like, the acting and the amount of work that they put into their characters, or not even just that, but Clarice and Dan, too, our stage manager and director. Like, there was so much passion that was inserted into the show and I think it really spoke volumes but not even just like everyone on stage but the audiences were maybe some of the best audiences I've ever had they reacted to everything if you listen to that episode you'll know that I also played Zach Smith I had a lot of anxiety during tech week of the potential of being Zach Smith and not completely having my monologues down and everything that I created and nobody really knew of except for Tara because she was the producer um, and my main bitch and then Dan and Clarice. 
but going out there and the energy of the audience and the energy of your cast and the just the overall feeling of that and then coming off after a successful Zach Smith and getting high fives and everything like there was just this camaraderie on stage that was really special and on and off stage like it really pe- was people laughed at everything i love all of you in our puffs cast and absolutely part of our group Dan and Clarice Thank you for a wonderful experience. It can never be matched, I don't think. It like, yeah. It was it was something that was, I mean, I've said special 5,000 times. It's fine. That, special that's an, is a good word. This might be season two, but we're going to repeat ourselves again. I mean, uh, <laughs> no one, well, No one will be shocked. <laughs> but anyway, yes, but yes, Puffs. Puffs was wonderful. And if you missed it, please go on Amazon and purchase the live recording of the Off-Broadway cast because they're ridiculously amazing. Yeah. And it's just, it's a great heartfelt show. And if you're listening to us, then you appreciate this series very much. And I think you'll really appreciate Puffs. So, yes. One hand down. So, yeah. Puffs. Puffs! Puffs. Puffs. <laughs> Are you ready to begin? I am ready to begin. All right, here we go. Season two. Season um, two. So you don't have anyone to award. I don't have any awards to give out right now. Check me in episode two, season two. <laughs> I might have some awards then. I do, I think, have an outline to read for chapter one that Adam wrote. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's backwards from last time. I was sitting here. I literally wrote the outline for chapter one. And I was like, oh, here we go. Odd episode. I get to read it. No. So, so that's something a little bit different. This episode, we have read chapter one of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. The, the worst, worst birthday. birthday. All right. Here you go. Oh, shit. Chapter one. The worst birthday. We're back in magic land. But things aren't so fun to begin with. Especially since in magic land right now, the word magic is completely forbidden even when used in an innocuous situation. Yeah, that's right. We, the reader, might be back in magic land, but Harry's in Dursley land, and they open the book by acting, or rather overreacting. Also, poor Hedwig is feeling claustrophobic, but Vernon has no problem, per usual, in keeping a creature locked up. Ooh, foreshadowing. And sort of past shadowing? Anyways, to make matters worse, it's Harry's birthday, but they don't acknowledge that. Nope, instead they're worried about some big elusive business deal with some other boring fucks named the Masons that Vernon's been overthinking about to the most minute racist little detail. Charming. Except Dudley does remember, and he goes to tell Harry that he remembers as Harry is staring into the bushes outside. Yeah, Harry's so upset on his birthday that he goes outside to get away from those shitholes inside and is wondering why Ron and Hermione haven't sent him any mail all summer. Was it really a dream? When all of a sudden, he sees a pair of big glowing eyes in the bushes. Oh, hey, everyone. Strap in because glowing eyes are about to be a theme in this book. (laughs) Anyways, Harry has to do a bunch of chores. Petunia almost knocks out a 12-year-old with a frying pan like a crazy bitch. And he's exiled to his room as the Masons arrive. It seems like it should be fairly simple when all of a sudden he notices a strange thing on his bed. Yeah, you guessed it. It's Cousin It there to take him away again. Yay! Hagrid crushes the horrible muggles to death and they're back to magic land. Yay, what a happy ending. Uh... (laughs) Um, So I have the British version and that's what happened in mine. No. (laughs) Actually, we have the same version. We have the same version. (laughs) Yes. 
Um, so, so I like the part that you wrote in at the end of the chapter. Yes. Good, good change. That's how I would have finished it because, man, it's been a while since we've been to Jersey Land. That was rough. It was real it rough. It was a really rough chapter. Like, they were bad in the first book. I was so sad. Yeah. The first line is about how there's an argument. And you're like, oh, that could be about anything. And No, it's about whether or not Harry's pet should be allowed to be outside of a cage. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. This book is already ten shades darker than the first book. And we're on the first paragraph. Yeah. I found myself comparing a lot of this to Sorcerer's slash Philosopher's Stone. Because the first chapter in that book, we got to meet Dumbledore and uh, McGonagall and Hagrid and here it's like right into it. Now, to be fair, the muggle bullshit is a lot shorter in this book. Mm-hmm. It felt like we were living with the Dursleys forever with the first one. But that was, you know, setting the groundwork and setting up all of the information that we now are recapping a little bit in this chapter. So fine. But yeah, JK has really turned up the dickishness with the Dursleys for sure. I actually, and obviously I may change my mind as we get into the later books, I feel like this chapter and the next chapter really are maybe the highest height of their abuse to Harry that yeah. we see on the page. I think so too. From the end of this chapter where, well at the end, but close to the end, where Amtunia literally is about just trying to knock Harry out with a frying <laughs> pan. Yes. Is like, okay, wow. In general, I think you just, you see it more on the page. And also now you know Harry and you know his life and you know how much different it is at Hogwarts for him. So I was just like, yikes, this is rough. During the same chapter, she like gives Harry bread and a bit of cheese to eat for dinner. But at like breakfast, they're like, oh, we're going to give Dudley extra food. And I do appreciate Vernon making the statement of, I got enough food at Smeltings. Mm -hmm. So... They're babying him and giving him more than he really needs. Yeah. In the last book, they already gave Harry the second bedroom. Mm -hmm. But I wonder now if it's overcompensating. Like, Harry's been at school for a full year. Mm -hmm. So it really was just the Dursleys hanging out and being their terrible selves. Right. Um, Well, without Dudley, too, because Dudley was away at school. Oh, I guess that's true. He goes to a boarding school. Yeah. I guess that's a very British thing. I guess so. people not go to boarding school in Britain? I don't know. I guess part of me was like, oh, we just assume that the Dursleys are doing their Dursley bullshit. But yeah, it's, Harry's been away for a while, so maybe now that he's back, and of course it's closer to the end of the summer. Sure. But they're overcompensating. Hey, it sucks that you have to be here with your nephew. Here, have all the bacon. We're back to bacon. Dudley and bacon go well together. It's the only relatable thing, truly. You know, Dudley, I feel you. Bacon is delicious. (laughs) Bacon is pretty amazing. And to be fair, yeah, Dudley isn't the greatest. But a lot of this comes from... It's perpetuated. Yeah. Yeah. However, Dudley did make the choice to go outside and be like, I know it's your birthday. That also is some of Dudley's worst bullying, I think. I think it's enhanced by the fact that Harry is thinking that. You know, Dudley doesn't know that Harry's thinking that. So that part, I guess, isn't on Dudley, but Dudley's a much smarter bully than Malfoy. Malfoy's more cruel, but he's not a great bully. He's not as smart as Dudley, I don't think, in this instance. Mm -hmm. Part of me was like, hey, Dudley is at least acknowledging it, at the very least. And then we get a nice clap back from Harry as well. 
So Mm -hmm. instantly you see the continuation of the last book where he's able to to stand up. Yeah. Yeah. There was a moment earlier too. Dudley asked him to pass him the pan of bacon. (laughs) And he's like, not if you don't say the magic word. And they completely fucking overreact. Like, it is a normal, like, colloquialism or whatever the word is, I guess. People say that all the time. Say please, you know. Magic is something that can be used towards anything. With puffs, for example, and of course this goes hand in hand with that, but how it was a magical experience. It doesn't necessarily mean witchcraft or whatever, but... Right. I mean, I guess in the Dursley household it does, It absolutely does, because it's like the sensationalism of it. But there was that little thing, but I also noted that Harry responded in a way that was so smart. Vernon is screaming in his face. Mm -hmm. It's in all caps. You can just picture his face becoming purple. Mm -hmm. And Harry says something like, all right, all right. Like he immediately like dispels the situation. And I was like, oh my God, like you're 12 years old and you're already doing this. Like Harry would make a great RA, first of all. Um, (laughs) A great prefect, I suppose. Uh, Of course we know that that doesn't work out for him. But... but But yeah, I mentioned in the final chapters of the last book how his mindfulness game has got to be on point because he is facing death and he's like cool as a cucumber. Yeah. And in this situation, it's the same thing. Like maybe even more terrifying than death. Vernon Dursley is screaming in your face and he is just like chill, you know? It's very interesting. I'm looking forward to comparing this to how Harry behaves in the fifth book. <laughs> but also, yes. also that's not even a dig on Harry because you know, looking at what happens to him between now and then, yeah, you know, and where that goes, and also just how he matures and and where it comes from. But there's self preservation there. It's kind of amazing when you think of the next few chapters as well, in a couple ways. Harry goes through some shit, of course, which we'll get to in the next episode. Because it's Harry, and that's what happens. Uh, to him. Seriously, but like, it makes me think like. Dude, you'll prevail, first of all, as Harry. Like, you're a solid bitch. You got this. However, then there's also comparison with Ron as well. We made a lot of fun of Ron in the last book. and It'll happen again. It'll happen again. But uh, just in comparing, like, my reactions to him, too, I feel like I was a little bit hard on Ron. And in this book, we learn a lot more about his family life and having a big family and stuff. And I don't have six other siblings, but I have three other siblings. And sometimes that's a lot. (laughs) So it makes you wonder, like, yes, Ron isn't up to Harry's level of maturity or Hermione's level of maturity. It'll be interesting to explore that and see what his home life is like, too. So that's something I'm really, really excited about for this book. And it's, like, right around the corner. It Um, really is. I found myself reading this and being like... Okay, this is fine, and it's a lot of like recapping and reminding the reader. Hey, it's this is very well done because we it's it's very truncated, but it does give us information. Yeah, um, if you a lot if you look at the paperback version, which I think you have a hardback. Yeah, I have a hardback. Um, I don't know that, so I don't think our page numbers are the same. But in the paperback version, it's less than two pages where it's like gets really deep into the callback of the history and what we need to know. It also is throughout the book. It's so interesting that you looked at that because at the same time when I was reading it, I found myself glossing over it. Might not be the right word, but maybe it's a little accurate (laughs) and being like, oh, She's obviously reminding us. This is what's happening. This is who these people are. But she does a great job. She's very, very concise. A talent that I can admire because (laughs) 
I am not a concise <laughs> person. But yeah, I think she does a really, really excellent job of doing that. And I think at this point, it's one book in, and she set so much groundwork and foundation in the last book that at this point she knows, okay, if my readers are as ravenous as I think they are to jump in and continue the story, like, they know. Let's get through this shit quickly. Right. And get into the good stuff. But sometimes people picked up the second or third or fourth book first. That's true. Which, honestly, like, if you just want the base story, I think you can get away with that with the third book but yeah. I don't think you can with the fourth. Yeah. Um, but I don't want to because I like looking at it from this instance and, and there is stuff you miss. But if you're just trying to get through a plot and be like, okay, this or whatever, I think you could pick up the third book and I guess maybe the fourth. Yeah, it's easier with the first three perhaps, but yeah. not so much with four I and I feel beyond. like you have to start at three if you're going to start yeah. three. But that's me because I don't want to start anywhere later than the first book. When I started the series, I read the first four and borrowed them from my brother Lucas. And then I bought my first book and the first book I owned that was actually mine was the fifth book. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So then I had to go back and be like, and of course I'm, you know, a little bit of a completionist and I need everything to match. So then I had to find my own hardcover books for the other six in the series. But yeah, I think that she does a great job. You had said at the end of the last book, like this wraps it up so perfectly. Like it's its own little standalone story. But then the seamlessness of going right into the new story is great. She gets through it snappy and she gets onto the new stuff very, very quickly. Yeah. I mean, even things like reminding us like, hey, this motherfucker's job is working with drills. Like I noticed that line and I was like, see, she's just like giving us a yeah. just enough. I wonder, because I've only just read the book straight through, you know, like, I wonder what it would be like to just pick up the second book and go. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I have no way to compare that. Yeah. Can we talk about when Vernon is discussing with the family, like, everyone's roles for the oh my God, dinner yes. party? And totally fucking can. Dudley, and he's like, I was writing an essay about you, Mr. Mason, because you're my hero. So dumb. <laughs> like, I was like, really? You like, guys would the, believe that? That would okay. not impress any of us. Well, I, just, I appreciate like, Harry's response to being like, y'all are creepy. Not be seen because I'm gonna fucking burst into laughter. <laughs> yes. Also, like, you guys are lame. I don't want to be associated with you. It's interesting because, and of course, we'll get to the movie comparison as usual. But in the movie, they just do it once, and he goes through it a full three times. Okay, Petunia. This is what you'll do, and then this is what you'll do, Dudley. Harry, what are you doing? And the whole thing repeats. Dude, come on. While Dudley might be a better bully than Draco, Draco might have it over Vernon, because Vernon can't let a joke die. It wasn't funny the first time, bitch. Right. Something else that Vernon says very, very early that I want to call out, too, that just made me chuckle. What I wrote was, Vernon, fuck you. In quotes, do I look stupid? Uh, yes, bitch. At that moment, JK yeah. did this on purpose. But, like, he had, like, egg falling out of his mouth or something. Right. It's like, of course you do. So this is something we talked about earlier, too. Like, it's literally the very first or argument in the whole book about not letting Hedwig out of her cage. But what does he really think is going to come of letting the owl out? Of course, to me, because I'm not Vernon Dursley. It's not like the end of the world if Harry is getting these letters from Hermione and Ron. At the same time, it's like, what could they possibly be sending back and forth? I think Vernon really enjoys depriving Harry of things. That's really what it is. I don't think it's anything else. 
I think that he is not as afraid of Harry as Dudley is. Yeah. I don't know that Petunia is afraid of Harry. We learn so much more about her later. Yeah. I think Harry being magical is just another excuse for them to mistreat him, which for Dudley it's maybe a real fear because Dudley doesn't know or understand. With Petunia having grown up with a sister who was a witch, and sure, like Lily, I'm sure came over with someone was weird, mm-hmm. but she wasn't scary. She didn't do anything wrong. Vernon is afraid of things he doesn't understand, but he also, I think, wants to push to see how far because he likes knowing that he's in charge. Yeah. I mean, that's why he locked Harry's stuff under the cover. That's why he locked Hedwig in her cage. And Harry hasn't done anything about these things. And he, I'm sure, takes note of that. Right. And so, yeah, he can be like, what are you going to do? Oh, you're going to pretend like you don't exist. You always bring a different perspective, which is the great thing about this podcast. Because, <laughs> like, I never would have thought about that. But it's true. Like, Petunia probably knows a little bit more about the rules of I think Petunia is more afraid of Vernon. Yeah. And his reactions to things and stuff that will break her tidy little world. Yeah. Her being afraid of Harry, I don't know that I believe she Absolutely. is. And I don't, I so then that also makes me wonder because throughout everything so far, I'm always like, Vernon is the worst. 100%. But then there's that moment with a frying pan where I was like, girl, like you almost like hit a kid in the face. I can't imagine hitting anybody with a frying pan. I know that they never actually physically abuse him mm-hmm. in the books. But there's no way that they don't. There's gotta be. Like, they've gotta be doing something. Like, we get, uh, we'll we get into this more in the next episode. But there are points where I was like, oh my god. Like, it's bad. And, like, this was one moment in this chapter where I was like, Petunia, calm the fuck down. And is that something that almost rubs off on her from Vernon? Initially, I was like, perhaps it is. Yes. Yeah. But then, of course, we don't know. Right, but- we don't know. And, I mean, I could be wrong. They might have points in the books where he's actually like hit or whatever or punched by I know Dudley punches him yeah but like I don't I don't actually recall serious physical violent abuse yeah on the pages there's no way yeah that it's not there and I, I could, it could be wrong but it's very much implied I don't want to downplay bullying either because bullying is fucking terrible and it's a, I think still a big problem oh um, in schools But the punching and stuff between that, even like I think siblings, and by no means are Dudley and Harry siblings. Um, I did air quotes there, but they should have been raised as siblings. Sure, you know Dumbledore will bring up in (laughs) In an amazing way. It's so much more unnerving when it's an adult, obviously. But I want to get back to what you said about like Petunia not being scared and stuff. Like I can totally see Petunia being like Vernon. If he could use magic, then he would have used Alohomora on that cage. And the owl would have been right. free. He would have gotten to your stuff. There is something stopping him. I imagine Harry is like her sister. Harry's not going to like deal with your shit. <laughs> like, no. He's too much like, like Lily. <clears throat> it makes me think that Vernon is on top of this stuff as well. But Dudley is still the one that's scared. I think that's absolutely well, right. I think them playing up that fear is probably helping keep Dudley afraid of him too. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I don't know. I've never had children or raised my nephew. That's just like an instinct I just had. For anything, like it's always good to just be like real and honest about things. I don't think that's something that they're likely to do because Vernon immediately jumps to screaming and doing things in the most irrational way possible. But sitting down with her and being like, look, we're not as dumb as you think we are. Like, we know that you can't do magic. You don't have to keep pretending. But at the same time, like, what's the response after that then? Oh, okay, well, if you know that, then can you... 
can I let out my owl? Can I right. get to my like magic things? And then them being like, no. Because then it like amplifies what their real motives are. And it's just the hate or the complete intolerance of yeah. this, this life that Harry is leading. Yeah. They so. like to deprive Harry of things that he wants and likes and frankly needs. Of course, there's a big emphasis on his friendship with Hermione and Ron. And he's like, why haven't they reached out oh to me? It's all a dream. And while I was reading it, I was like, we've all been there before. We've all been ghosted. Like, it makes me think of online dating. Okay. <laughs> so Tell me more. <laughs> when you're on a dating site, you're having a conversation with someone, and sometimes it's going so well, and then all of a sudden, like, they're gone. And there isn't any sort of, like, closure or anything. Like, hey, I don't think it's going to work out or whatever. It's two different situations. Obviously, we learn very soon that there is something else keeping Hermione and Ron's letters from reaching Harry. But that feeling of, like, I thought we had this thing. And was it all a dream? Was it all a lie? Like, what the hell happened? I think that's a really fair comparison. I don't know that I can relate to it very well, but I think about the fact that my um, childhood best friend moved out of state as if we were going into eighth grade. So I was basically around the same age as Harry, as maybe a year older. I remember feeling so dependent mm -hmm. on her friendship, thinking that I was going to have nothing and I was going to have no one when she left. Luckily, I was wrong. And I, you know, that's when I met Emma, who was being amazing and who was one of my dearest friends to the day. And, and I've known her since sixth grade, but we became inseparable in eighth grade and whatever. But when Elaine moved to Florida, I remember just feeling so much like I needed that kind of friendship. And I had this fear that I was not going to have anyone. And it's not the same feeling as Harry. Harry was like, was this a dream? Was this a dream? You know? Yeah. And that totally happens at that age. You know? Yeah. Well, and, and junior high is hard. And like people who go to now, obviously this is different. And apparently because boarding school is what everyone does in England. Now, <laughs> now I'm an expert. And I know this. No, I'm just kidding. A lot of people will go to like private schools over like Catholic private schools until they're in seventh or eighth grade and then they'll go to a public high school. Their friends will go to a public high school or a different public high school when some of them will go to a private Catholic high school. And that's like when you get separated. Yeah. That's yeah, that like the sense. age everyone is where they're like, they have to go this other direction. And Harry just now has these friends. These are like new friends to him. So he doesn't really know what it's like to have friends. He had a year of having friends. Like, is that the only time he's going to have friends? Like, I just, mm. I feel like there's probably more than just him being like, oh my God, this is a dream going through his head. I feel like there's so much of that. Like, maybe I didn't know how to be a friend. I didn't have friends before. You know, maybe they didn't like me. Maybe it was scary for them to be friends with someone and go on that adventure. Or they thought they wanted to go on that adventure, but it was too scary for them. And now they're like, maybe oh, not. You know, like, maybe great. there's all this other stuff going through Harry's head that is like, could they not want to be my friends anymore? I don't know. To me, it was the most sad thing that happened in the chapter. Obviously, like, that comes back to him reacting to Dudley being like, oh, you don't, don't even have friends, blah, blah, blah. And Harry, instead of just letting it go, he taunts him. Which, honestly, Harry really could taunt the kid more. He could be a lot meaner to him. But he's a good kid. It made me think of, like, my main friends in high school I made in middle school, too. And so this is such an important time to be creating that. But then when you add on Harry's experiences, too, about finally having friends, like, that is really important it's a little bit more dire too you know in the situation that he's in at home those relationships that he made are more 
crucial in comparison to the dating stuff too. It's gotten to the point, for example, when people do the ghosting thing, you just expect it now. Now, when you actually like create a relationship with somebody and then all of a sudden like that ends, like a breakup kind of thing, Mm -hmm. that's where it almost gets to that point that you were talking about of like, am I going to ever have friends again? So even mm-hmm. that like shows how at this moment and his at his age and his experience how upsetting it is. Even on top of everything that else that is happening, like the abuse shit. After Harry taunts Dudley, Petunia makes him do all these chores. I'd like to read to you the list of chores that Harry has to do. Yeah. Harry cleaned the windows, washed the car, mowed the lawn, trimmed the flower beds, pruned and watered the roses, and repainted the garden bench. He did all that in one day. Seriously. And he's fucking 12. Seriously. I can't do one of those things in a day. (laughs) To me, all the garden stuff, that's one day. That's one day. Yeah. And that doesn't count the bench. And like, like the repainting a bench. Everything. I mean, it's a bench, so it's not like it's a whole day project. Fine. But right. he washed the windows. Like, did he wash all the windows in the house? That is Petunia's like standard? a weekend thing. That is like, a thing. Yeah. Especially because Petunia is very particular. So mm-hmm. he did all of that stuff. I'm hey, just he's like, got magic in his blood. Right? It's like, keeping him speedy. I mean, it's keeping him on his feet, I guess. <laughs> it's interesting. Portion. Because at this point in the last book, he helped set that snake free without realizing it. It makes me wonder, okay, are there other things that he can now do just by having the magical abilities? I wonder if him having the magical abilities are what keeps him grounded there. That too. Oh my I god. I think that that's me. really where he needs to be in that moment. That's totally a magic ability. Like, that's hard to... Yeah, <laughs> I you know what else I wonder? This isn't downplaying what Petunia is doing to him or anything by forcing him to do all these chores. But to a degree, I wonder if it's like, okay, I can focus on this task and then I don't have to deal or talk to these people. To a degree, perhaps it's even him thinking about his other life and what else he has going on at Hogwarts. So perhaps that also like helps him like just be really efficient and doing all of these chores maybe. You're completely right. Like cleaning all the windows to a house takes a long time. And to your point, again, up to Petunia standards, like absolutely. So, and then she makes him come in the house and walk in the newspaper like he's a dog. And she's like, eat this bread and piece of cheese. Right, after all that work. What so, a bitch. no wonder he's exhausted. I just feel bad for him. Yeah. Because, you know, that's these books, it's just literally just me feeling bad for Harry. <laughs> it, well, I mean, it's easy to do in the first chapters, absolutely. And I think you're right, like what you said earlier, like this is one of the worst times of it. I think in future books, the things that happen at the beginning, you see yet a different shift in how the Dursleys react to Harry mm-hmm. because of what happens in this book. And then you meet a new character at that point and what happens to that person and things like that. But this, you definitely can call back what has happened in terms of Harry versus the Dursleys between Sorcerer's Stone and Chamber of Secrets. Mm-hmm. And I think that has created the way that they react to one another for sure. Mm-hmm. At one point, he refers to Quidditch as one of the most popular sports. And I was like, there are more sports. I know, right? I wonder what they are. <laughs> that gets back into like Our conversation, yeah. Of course, we never learn what those other sports what they are. are. But they exist. But yeah, so I really enjoyed that. The other thing that I did write down, which completely calls back to what you said earlier, we talked about Vernon and Dudley versus Draco. 
He wants to ignore Harry. When the Masons come over, he wants the, him to be completely out of the picture. Yeah. But then he keeps bringing Harry up. Um, I kind of mentioned it when I was talking about how he said it three times. Like, mm -hmm. Petunia will do this, and then Dudley will do this, and Harry will be in your room. Like, we get it, bitch. It's very similar to how Draco, in the last book, would say things like, oh, I feel so sorry about people who can't go on Christmas holiday, or people who don't get gifts, um, like care packages. Mm -hmm. It's the same sort of thing here, like... Why are you paying attention to them when you just got this care package? Like, be happy for what you have and don't pay attention to them. And Vernon is completely doing the same thing here. Yeah, Oftentimes, right. don't really relate them to one another, even though they are both in that category of, like, bullies and somewhat of villain yeah. kind of characters in the book. But there really are more similarities there than you initially think and then the end of the chapter is Harry walks into his room and someone's sitting on his bed yeah. it's like and someone's sleeping in my bed and they're still there <laughs> <laughs> we actually did not talk at all either about the glowing eyes in the bush we didn't and so that's Harry saw glowing too. eyes in the bush when I wrote the summary on this, it didn't even occur to me, but I was like, huh, glowing eyes. That's something that we really are going to see a lot in this book. It's interesting knowing what is going about to happen in the next 17, 18 chapters. There's little hints here and there kind of planted. I think this might be like a really, really subtle one. We get the same thing in Prisoner of Azkaban. About, With like, someone watching Harry. I really enjoyed that. I enjoy how observant Harry is when he's in a certain state of mind because he's not always observant, but... No. He's much more observant when he's younger. Maybe again it's in the next chapter, but there are times when he notices things or he does things. I mean, I think back to the whole realization of the dragon egg in the last book. Mm -hmm. Where I'm like, hell yeah! Like, you are really, like, thinking like a detective even and trying to piece all these things together. That's who he is. You know, he's... He's had a lot of time to be on his own and think because what else was he doing in the cupboard under the stairs? You know, and no one talks to him, no one interacts with him when he's younger. So I think, I think him being, he was probably a very quiet child. He really spent a lot of time alone. I think that he has that natural skill. He doesn't always utilize it, but do we always utilize our skills? I guess not. <laughs> so yeah and that's how the chapter ends yeah a, ooh cliffhanger already i know i love that the first chapter the trouble was there was already someone sitting on it Ooh, <laughs> what a way to end a chapter very nice yeah So movie difference. Let's talk about the movie because guess what? Chapter one really isn't in the movie. It really isn't. There are you get the conversation elements. Yeah, like we miss the whole breakfast thing. Fine. Harry does. They don't even mention that it's his birthday, and he doesn't go outside and see the glowing eyes in the bush, which is kind of like the big thing in this chapter. Yeah, but um, we do get the conversation when Vernon is like, "What will you be doing?" And they do that three. Like you kept talking about. So they're, they're standing there and even. Harry's like standing there in the doorway and Vernon yeah. and Dudley are all dressed up. Which, By the way, like this must have been the point where everyone didn't start growing because like Harry Melling is small. Yeah. He's still the same size he was in Sorcerer's Stone. Daniel Radcliffe has clearly grown. P.S. Not going to get much taller. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, they're pretty much the same height and Harry Melling is huge. 
compared to Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah. Otherwise, I I just this time that we watched it, I was like, wow, Dudley looks so tiny. Yeah. And that's a huge thing that they say in the book too is how massive. How big he is. He is? I think that's why because I was just thinking about what the book says, and I was like, he looks so small. Yeah. And it actually has nothing to do with with the actor playing Harry. It was really just like he looks so small because I'm expecting him to be bigger. And I'm like, oh, he hasn't hit that spurt yet because I can't well, worry about in the third movie, but. The fifth movie, because he's not in the fourth movie, he is gigantic. Yeah. As far as height, I think that they put this poor kid in a fat suit. I don't think he's actually fat. Maybe he was a little chubby or something, and then like he started growing out of it. But I just noticed how small he looked. It almost made Daniel Radcliffe look a lot older than he looked in the first movie. And I don't think he looks that much older. I think no. that that comparison. Also, this is the movie where... I always think James Newton looks like Daniel Radcliffe as Harry Potter. Interesting. I always, and it's the first couple scenes. I'm like, I just see James. That's interesting. I had, hadn't thought about that. Oh my God. There was just like a point in, in the movie is where I was like, why does James look like that? And James <laughs> doesn't look like that anymore. But there was a point in James's life. James is a child that we do theater with who is also much taller than me and adorable. Such a good kid. <laughs> Um, part of it, though, is his sweetness. And I'm like, James, you need to not be Harry Potter or just be Harry Potter. That's fine. Or totally be Harry Potter. Right. Because all he's the time. Great. He's a good kid. James, if you're listening to this, surprise, <laughs> we're talking about how great you are on our you podcast. Be because Peggy, his mom, does. So one other thing I want to say about the movie, the way that the movie opened is terrific. We don't get the ability of all of the recap and the repetition of, hey, this is what happened. Because it's not necessary for a movie. In a book, it makes more sense. Harry looking at that book. But the book with the pictures, like that's literally the last thing that happened. Like it's perfect. Well done, Chris Columbus, on your two movies you directed. We don't need breakfast. We already know these people are I need breakfast, but not in the movie. I just need that's right. In my life. We could eat breakfast all the time. Brunch, whatever. Yes. But we don't need <laughs> breakfast in the movie. Like, we don't need to just see it. No. We just need to eat it. We know what it looks um. like. It's fine. <laughs> but that is perfect. And I mean, I think going right into the whole thing of preparing for the Masons, the one thing I do maybe miss is not mentioning that it's Harry's birthday because I feel like that's an important thing that kind of sets the tone of like, hey, it's because another it's year. Because it's heartbreaking in the book. Yeah. Where he like sings happy birthday to himself. And I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. I'm so yeah. sad. It's like I, it's in the like first the movie when he draws a cake. Yeah. Because that's in the movie, in the first movie, mm-hmm. where he draws his birthday cake in the fucking dust. And you're yeah. like, oh, my heart. And then in this, he sings happy birthday to himself. I'm like, that's so sad. Yeah. Maybe they were like, you know what? No, we'll just show you pictures of him with his dead parents. Which is fine. Like, that's a great way. That brings in the last movie. It also gives us that recap of like, hey, here we are. Mm -hmm. Hey, remember these people. The only other difference, the Dursleys aren't as bad in the movie. And I think it's to appeal to a greater audience than the book. Because in the book, it's not as bad as the next chapter. But it's still worse in the book. Like, Mm -hmm. they're still more abusive and more terrible. Even the first thing of Harry coming down the stairs and Petunia's working on that ugly fucking cake. Harry comes up and the way that Petunia talks to him is a little normal. Like, it's not like she's snapping at him or anything. It's not the worst. Whereas I feel like in the book, they're always snapping and just being the worst possible humans to him. So that's one potential other difference. But yeah, for the most part, this chapter is not in the movie. Yeah. 
Exactly. The next chapter there's, is... There's going to be more of that in this book. Well... So now I'd like to hear how you're do, dishing out some points okay. for chapter one. So this one is an easy one. We don't have a lot mm. of people here. I'm going to give plus five to Hedwig because just like Harry... Hedwig is trapped in the situation. This is the first time, really, that Hedwig has to deal with the Dursley's bullshit. And it's terrible as an owl, I'm sure. She isn't able to go out and flap her wings. She's probably not getting the correct type of food, etc. So, plus five to Hedwig, who I don't think got any points in the last season. So, mm. hell yeah, Hedwig. Plus ten to Harry, no surprise. It's his birthday. We see the continuation of the growth from the last book of him being sassy and mindful and all the things that we like about Harry. Negative five to Petunia simply because of the frying pan incident. Like, I think that's the one situation where I was like, bitch, calm down. Like, usually you're not the worst in this situation. Like, you get in there. <laughs> and then negative 10 to Vernon because he really is the worst. I was going to take some away from Dudley too, but when Petunia lifted that frying pan, I was like, oh, nope. Taking them from Petunia instead. Of course, I could have taken them from Dudley, but I'm trying to, like, rein in my point giving a little bit more because things got a little bit crazy last season. But don't worry, we'll get there, I'm <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, yeah, plus five, Hedwig. Plus ten, Harry. Negative five, Petunia. Negative ten, Vernon. All right, so next time we're going to be doing chapter two. Which is Dobby's, Dobby's warning. warning. Oh, my gosh, who could Dobby be? Oh my gosh. I have no idea. Probably Hagrid's cousin, right? Uh, yeah. It so, totally is. It was fun. Welcome back. <laughs> it, We're it was season fun. two. And we have already gotten through two thirds of a bottle of wine, so. Oh, wow. That explains a lot. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Basic Snitches is produced and recorded by Adam Bowers and Tara Corkery. Edited by Adam Bowers. And published by Tara Corkery via Podbean. And now available for download wherever you listen to podcasts. A special thanks to all of you for taking the time to download and listen to us. We hope you enjoyed us. If you enjoyed us, please be sure to rate us five stars on your listening app of choice. And if you didn't enjoy us, then we're sorry you're so angry. Please also connect with us. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Basic Snitches or email us at basicsnitches at gmail.com. We're excited to get more feedback from our listeners and to hear what you have to say about the questions and discussions we have on the podcast. Catch, Catch you later, later, snitches! snitches.